I just, I have such an excitement for this morning, if I'm honest, um, and it's really got nothing to do with what I have to say. It has everything to do with uh, just the richness that I think we've been finding, and I hope you've been finding, uh, as we've been studying through the book of Exodus. Uh, For me, uh, if you guys know me, you talk with me for like five minutes, you know that I'm a story junkie. Um, I I trained as an actor. I, I, I read and watch all sorts of stuff. I just can't get enough of it. So there's something about... Uh, Old Testament narrative that just has a sweet spot in my heart. So honestly, I could probably sit for hours and hours and hours and hear preaching and preach on uh, a book like Exodus. I promise not to go hours and hours today. But I do have a very specific prayer that I've been praying to the Lord, and that is that the truth and the power and the intention with which God includes this account, this story, not fictional story, but true story, this account in his word, that the, that the reality of that and what happens in this story would pop off of the page to us, pop out of the scriptures to us, because we know that all scripture is God-breathed, that is, all scripture is inspired of the Holy Spirit. So we know then that God didn't waste any words or waste any time, that everything's intentional and everything's meaningful and has purpose. So my prayer as we continue to study Exodus is that it just pops off the page and we're going to spend a lot of time chewing on story and asking questions and looking at one event and what it means to the next and and why that was impactful to who's in the story, not because we're trying to do a lot of insightful study, although that's great, but we're asking the question, what does that mean for us? That's how we approach the word of God. That's That's how an account that's thousands of years old of the Lord doing a work can be absolutely in the moment, intentional and purposeful for us right now, in this moment, today, on September 18th, 2016. So that's my prayer, and I hope you join me in that prayer, and I hope that you'll approach it with me like that. And if I get excited, just like wave a hand and I'll calm down, Uh, but I really, really love diving into this kind of story. So before we do, uh, we're going to be in Exodus 5 primarily. We'll flirt with a little bit of 4 and we'll flirt with a little bit of 6, but we'll stay in 5 for most of the time. And um, I, let's, let's talk a little bit and recap as to where we've been in, this, in our series on Exodus up to this point. Our series is called Into His Glory, the story of Exodus. And the reason why we, we've sort of chosen that title is because there's an amazing overarching through line to the book of Exodus. If you're familiar with the story or you've read the whole book, you know that it is largely a story of God doing some amazingly huge things. It's the story of how God almost reintroduces himself to his people, progressively reintroducing himself to his people by who he is, giving them his presence, protecting them, shepherding them teaching them all through how he reveals them and he takes them from this place of crying out to him in slavery in Egypt and he takes them all the way and by the end of Exodus he's he's got them journeying toward this promised land where he's revealed his heart and his law when he's uh, taught them how to construct a dwelling place for him and 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 what what an amazing arc from point a to point b just in one book It's also the story of how God is revealing himself to a very specific man, and that man is Moses. And when we look at Moses, his through line all the way through the book of Exodus is also epic, I think is a good way to put it. We have have a man who is a Hebrew born into slavery, illegally born into slavery, because Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, had grown so fearful 
of the numerous Hebrews that he decreed that they should be enslaved. And he decreed that all the male babies and the Hebrew midwives cut them down. Don't let them be born. And Moses' parents, in an audacious act of faith, still have Moses. And Moses' mother still keeps Moses and hides him and sets him adrift on the Nile when she can no longer keep him. And we know, if you've been listening to the series or reading in Exodus, we know about how God was faithful to Moses, faithfully protecting him, not only protecting him, but causing him to thrive, taken into Pharaoh's house, taken into the very, taken into the very belly of the beast, if you will. Where one day, where he would be uh, grown up, protected, rise up, and one day God would use him to be a deliverer. And we see very intentionally that God crafted Moses to be a deliverer from the very start. He put that in him. But we see also that Moses outworks that kind of imperfectly, I think is a gentle way to put it. Uh, We see Moses, things of deliverance resonate with Moses, but he doesn't interact with them in a way that that is fully developed or fully given over to the Lord. For example, when he sees an an Egyptian overseer, uh, a slave master, beating one of the Hebrew slaves, the Bible says Moses looked this way and that, which gives a little insight into his heart, and then he went and he cut down the Egyptian slave master and killed him and buried him in the sand. And when Pharaoh found out about this, Moses was instantly a fugitive. He went from a prince in the house of Egypt to a fugitive just like that because of an imperfect outworking of something that was God-breathed inside of him. And even as Moses fled hundreds of miles east to Midian, the first thing that he does, exhausted from traveling, just, just worn out, I can only imagine what traveling those hundreds of miles does. And he, it says that he came to Midian, he collapsed by a well, and at that well, some women were drawing water for their father's livestock, this, and their father was the high priest of Midian. And as the women are doing that, shepherds come and begin to drive the women away, and Moses, in his abject exhaustion, after traveling all this length, still gets up, drives the, shep- the oppressing shepherds away, gives the women their water, feeds their, uh, g- gives their livestock the water to drink, and rescues and delivers the women. And even in the midst of that amazing deliverance, Moses is still a fugitive. He's still not home. He's still driven out into a place. And soon we find Moses, God begins to restore him. God begins to restore him firstly by giving him family. Moses takes a wife. He begins a family. He becomes knit into a family there. And, in that, and as that muscle of safety and family begins to envelop Moses, God, as he so often does, begins to work in Moses. And Moses finds himself doing the very thing that he should be doing, tending his father-in-law's sheep. Tending his father-in-law's sheep, but still a fugitive. And still not fully activated as a, as a deliverer. And then God reveals himself to Moses. So amazingly. In a bush that's on fire but does not burn up. God says, Moses. I am the God of your father. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. I am the God of my people. I have not forgotten them. I've heard their cry and I'm going to deliver them. And you can imagine what for the first time is truly starting to resonate in Moses. That deliverer's unction that's been outworked clumsily and imperfectly and and as a fugitive. But now 
in the presence of God who is calling Moses to himself, not yet to a task, but to himself, that deliverer's resonance begins to be activated. And then God says, so go. I'm going to free my people from Egypt. And we instantly see Moses' reaction, and Steve preached so wonderfully on it last week, this, this tug back and forth of, of Moses saying, no, 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 not me, not me. Oh, I resonate with that, but not me, not me. And God progressively reveals his faithfulness to Moses. Throw your staff down. It becomes a a snake. Pick it up. Put your hand inside your cloak. Pull it out. It's leprous. Put it back. Pull it out. I've healed it. Moses, I'm with you. Go back to Egypt. And God, in his infinite kindness and goodness to Moses, even sends Aaron, Moses' brother, to come and meet Moses. and And God says, Aaron will be your mouthpiece. You think you're clumsy with words? You said that pretty clearly. But Moses will be your mouthpiece. And Moses and Aaron, where we pick up our story today, Moses and Aaron have met in the wilderness and they are on the same page. Moses has shared with Aaron all that God has revealed to him and deliverance is afoot because they are going back to Egypt. That's pretty epic. I kind of, even in saying all that, I kind of feel like I need to sit down. And that's just three minutes of... Just roughly four and a half chapters of what happens in in Exodus. And so before we go into the verses that we're going to read today, I just want to challenge you with one thing. Because of the amazing scope of Exodus and the bigness of what's at stake, if you're like me, one of the things that you can be tempted to do is you can be tempted to sort of like check out and just say, well, Moses is dealing with epic things here, way bigger than and way more important than I've ever dealt with. And we can start to put a wall of inability to relate to what God is doing to Moses, to what God is doing with us. There's a uh, song that came out in 1972. I wasn't around, but those of you who were may remember it. It's a song called uh, Precious and Few Are the Moments We Two May Share. Anybody? Anybody want to sing it? Dirk? No. (laughs) Precious and few are the moments we too can share. My apologies. But sometimes I think that's how we can feel with Moses. Where we look at Moses and we go, precious and few are the moments where I can actually interact with the bigness of what God is doing with you and with Israel. And I want to say, hogwash. Stop it. The way God pursues Moses, crafted Moses, activates Moses, draws Moses to himself, commissions Moses to something that is insanely bigger than Moses can contain, absolutely is the way that God deals with and pursues and goes after you and me. So that's how we we need to look at this. So I want to look at some specific moments with Moses that I think you and I resonate with. And and my prayer is that God will do a work of turning, turning our faces to him. For a realization of who he is in the midst of what he is, he is doing amongst us. Happiness? Okay, so let's, let's pick it up. The story of Exodus. You guys know that I like to read chunks of scripture. Today is no different because that's the story. So we're going to pick it up in chapter 4, verse 29. And Moses and Aaron, remember, have met in the wilderness and now they're coming back to Egypt and, and it says, Moses and Aaron brought together all of the elders of the Israelites, and Aaron told them everything that the Lord had said to Moses. He, Moses, also performed the signs before the people. 
And then verse 31, isn't it great? And they believed. And they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshiped. This is an amazing moment for Moses and Aaron, is it not? I would like to call this a moment of momentum. This is a moment of momentum for Moses. Why? Because this was really kind of, this was a herky-jerky thing for Moses. Moses was going back and forth with God. You've got the wrong guy. And God says, I am who I am. Now go. And God even said to Moses in Exodus 3, you go to the elders of Israel. They will believe you. Before we even argue, they will believe you. And what happens when Moses and Aaron go to the elders of Israel? They believe him. Now, if you're Moses, this is great. Come on, we've all been here where God has spoken something very clearly to you. And you've acted in obedience. You've stepped out in faith upon what you've heard. And you've seen right away, like instantaneously, the faithfulness of God, the goodness of God right there to meet you. And everything is going exactly how it should go. And I got to tell you, I mean, it's not in the original Hebrew, but I think Moses and Aaron are itching to go to Pharaoh now. Because we've, we've got all the elders of Israel together. We, we've shared what God has said. And if I of the Tiger had been written, I think it would have been playing. And somebody call Pharaoh and tell him to clear his schedule because we're coming to talk to him and he's going to let our people go. It's going to go something like this. Pharaoh, let our people go. And Pharaoh's going to say, sweet, what can I do to help? It's a moment of momentum. And yes, it's a moment of God's goodness. But it's a dangerous moment because in a moment of momentum, if we're not careful, we can begin to trust what's happening, the way things are happening, instead of keeping our ear turned to the Lord. How many of you have ever been there? I know I'm preaching at least to me today. You get to watch me preach to me today. <laughs> it's a moment of momentum for Moses and Aaron. So with that momentum, with Eye of the Tiger playing in the background, we go into Exodus 5. Let's pick it up together in in the first verse. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh immediately said, What took you so long to ask? I've been waiting to let you go. I'm so honored that you would request it so humbly of me. Please pack your bags and take your time on your way. Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord and will not let Israel go. And it's like Moses and Aaron have this moment of like, okay, wait, um, he said, you know, it's like, okay, I heard, yeah, I heard him. You you talk, I'm not the one who's, they go back to Pharaoh and pick it up in verse three. Then they said, and you can almost hear the again, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or he may strike us with plagues or the sword. Nice. Nice. Throwing the plagues in there? That's brilliant. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back To your work. Then Pharaoh said, Look, the people of the land are now numerous. 
and you're stopping them from working. This was going so well. (laughs) The Israelite elders had believed. (laughs) We had Eye of the Tiger playing. And we went to Pharaoh and we did what God asked. And Pharaoh said, forget about it. Moses is in a moment of delay. He's in a real moment of delay. He has come up against something that is going to delay him significantly. Calls into question whether or not this something's even going to happen at all. But let me ask you, has, did God reference how Moses' conversation with Pharaoh would actually go? Did God speak to Moses already about how this would go? I think he did. Because back in Exodus chapter 3, verse 19, God says, But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. And in verse 21 of chapter 4, God says, The Lord said to Moses, When you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I've given you the power to do, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let you go. Moses is in a moment of delay, but he shouldn't be in a moment of surprise. And I'm sorry, that I'm not comfortable with that. I'm not. Are you? You shouldn't be. You know why? Because in our thinking, we take the momentum of hearing from God. We take the momentum of God showing his power and might and goodness and, and his promises to us and what's prophetically spoken over us and we confirm it in his word and that's good and right and true and we need to. But then we do something very crucial. We take what God has said he will do and we remove it from the paradigm of God's timing and we put it in the paradigm of our timing. That's a crucial, crucial mistake because I want to submit to you that God not only isn't surprised by delay, God intends and works through the very delay you and I experience. Faithful what God has said he will do is not able to be divorced from faith that says God will do it when he, when he will do it. We can't separate those two. To separate those two is abject frustration. <laughs> and if we're not careful, we can begin to call into question and indict even the goodness of God, the character of God, because he's quite frankly not doing this in a way that makes sense to my timing. And where are you? And I'm not delegitimizing that wrestling and frustration. I've been in it, am in it in some ways. But I want to say to you, the paradigm of our timing is not the paradigm that bounds God to work within. God is not bound by the paradigm of time. In fact, that's what eternity with him will be. It will be us in the presence of God in the absence of time. It's just us with him. And the only word we can think of for that is forever. But God's not bound by our paradigm. In fact, in the 55th chapter of Isaiah, the Lord speaks very clearly and he says, but, but my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. As high as the heavens are above the earth, my ways are higher than your ways. That's not, a, that's not God smacking us across the face and putting us in our place. That's God saying, as much as you will put your faith in me to do, why don't you put your faith in me for the when as well? 
And the freedom that comes from that, not the entrapping, but the freedom. So much so that the author of Hebrews, before, before they even get into the very famous uh, later chapter of Hebrews where it's like the faith hall of fame, uh, it, you know, we, we, we celebrate all in the Old Testament who, by faith, and this faith we go into the, this in-depth celebration of faith. In fact, in chapter 6, uh, the, the writer of Hebrews very clearly says, be like those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. There's something about the way God works in his goodness and in his sovereignty that actually employs delay. It actually employs delay. Why? Well, God, in this case, to Moses says, Pharaoh won't let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. And more than once in the book of Exodus, God says to Moses and Aaron, listen, I'm going to display my splendor to Egypt You see, it's one thing for you to walk in, Moses, and for Pharaoh to say, absolutely, peace. And he will say that, but he's going to say it after my glory has been revealed, because God is zealous for his glory. And when we're zealous for God's glory, our faith in what he has said can rest in the delay because we have faith in his timing for when. And we cannot separate those two things. So I would like to submit to you that There's not big epic things we're missing Moses with here because I believe you guys have all been in or may be in a moment of delay just as Moses is. So what happens? Well, Pharaoh gets busy. That's what happens. That same day, verse 6, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and overseers in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They're what? Lazy. That is why they're crying out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the people so that they keep working and pay no attention to their lies. Man. Hard heart is a hard heart. This is like creative on Pharaoh's part. It's impressively cruel. You see, at that time, in order to make bricks, the brick-making methods required a lot of straw. And straw was plentiful. Dried up, grassy, you know, dried up grass was plentiful in a desert climate. So you can make lots of bricks. It's readily available. And Pharaoh says, you no longer get it. And I'm not dropping you one brick from what you deserve. Can you imagine Moses and Aaron and the Israelites, what they're feeling now? We're way beyond we started off so well, and now we have a hiccup of delay. We're in an outright moment of obstacle. Moses is in a moment of obstacle. And what's eminently more frustrating about this, and maybe you've experienced this as well, is that don't obstacles tend to come so much more forcefully when we're actually trying to obey? I mean, if I'm just cruising in my walk with God, not really listening, not really pursuing, not really diving into the intimacy of relationship, not really being in God's word, not really, not really looking like someone who's actually following God in or out, obstacles don't tend to be as forceful. But I tell you what, the moment we try to obey, the moment we say yes to Jesus, not only is there delay, there's outright obstacles. 
And Pharaoh has put one now in the way of the Israelites. In his thinking, he can busy them because they're lazy. We're not even going to have this conversation anymore because you don't even have what you need to make what I'm requiring you to make. And that's bad news for you because I'm the slave oppressor and you're the oppressed. It's, it would be really helpful for me in this kind of situation, in this moment of obstacle, and maybe this is helpful for you and I hope it is, if I knew that in the heart of God that this moment of obstacle didn't take him off guard. I would really, really help me to know that. We can know that. We can know that. Not only can Moses know that because God says specifically, I will harden Pharaoh's That's not just a no. That's a no and watch this. And you know, Jesus in John 16 says something very similar when he's speaking to his disciples. And he spends almost an entire chapter uh, not really with a crazy, encouraging topic to his disciples. Where he says, you're going to be scattered. The time is quickly coming. You're going to be oppressed. You're going to be driven all left, right, and center and everywhere. And he ends it with this. I tell you this. So that you will have peace. Okay, well, thanks Jesus, but telling me this, I don't have a lot of peace. Well, here's where the peace comes. In this world, you will have trouble. But what? Take heart. Because I have overcome the world. See, I'm only comfortable. (laughs) I can only compute an obstacle. I I can only still say yes in the midst of an obstacle, to a God who has said, I have overcome. And in this world, you will have trouble, but that doesn't surprise me. That doesn't take me off guard. And that doesn't indict my goodness, because I've overcome. And and, and when John writes in 1 John 4, that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world, lest we forget the second half of that is, there is a he who is in the world. There's a he who's in the world. There is a he, an enemy, who is diametrically opposed to the works of God, both in our life, in this church, in our city, in our nation, and the nations. Anything that is of the kingdom of Jesus, anything that reflects heaven, anything that reflects the majesty of God, the restoration of God, the the gospel going forth, salvation, eternal restoration, all of those things, everything that looks like that, Our enemy, the the Bible says, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking to steal, kill, and destroy. He's diametrically opposed. You better believe this side of heaven. You say yes to Jesus and expect obstacles. Don't be surprised by them. And isn't it good, isn't it good that the way God has spoken to Moses to this point, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. He will not let you go. This is how he will be. Isn't it good that God has laid that out to Moses? Whether Moses remembers it or not. Whether we remember it or not. Whether I remember it or not. So I say that to encourage you. We're not a... God has not called us to be a take-it-on-the-chin religion. Of just, well, you know, it's just our lot to have trials. Because the Bible says... God knows, and it's just his intent for us. Stop it. You know what? Sorry. When Paul or Peter or any of the New Testament epistle writers talk about trials and sufferings, obstacles, 
They always put it in the context of we endure with joy. Why? Because of the great salvation that has been promised to us. Because of the great inheritance. And you know what? That's why Jesus went to the cross. For the joy set before him. Because he came to seek and save that was lost. That which was lost. God's not saying to Moses, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart to make your day worse. God is saying, I'm hardening Pharaoh's heart because I'm going to show my glory. I'm going to reveal my majesty. And you get to partner with me in that, and that's going to mean a moment of obstacle. It doesn't get better right away. Let's keep reading. Let's skip down to verse 19. Because what Pharaoh has decreed gets enacted, and it goes about as how you would expect. The Israelites can't do it, and it results in more oppression. They can't make these quotas, and the slave drivers become even more oppressive. And and as they try to obey what God has said, their situation tends to worsen. And they, the, the Israelite overseers even go to Pharaoh and say, why, why are you, come on, what are you doing? And Pharaoh again says, you're lazy. Get back to work. You're behind. So verse 19, the Israelite overseers realized that they were in trouble when they were told, you are not to reduce the number of bricks required of you for each day. And when they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron. Somehow I don't think Eye of the Tiger is playing now. They found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them, and they said, May the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. May the Lord look on you and judge you. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Twenty verses ago, these same people were bowing down and worshiping God at the revelation that he had heard their cry for help and was coming to deliver them and were so excited that Moses and Aaron had come with this revelation. And now they're like, you've made us obnoxious to Pharaoh. I mean, this is, forgive me for, for this language, but this is, this is nothing short of, you, you go to hell. Get out of here. Look at what you've done. Moses is in a moment of opposition. We're beyond obstacles. See, the difference between an obstacle and opposition is obstacle is there and you have to navigate it. Opposition says, you go this way, I'm blocking you here. I'm after you here. I'm hunting you here and there. This is opposition from the very people, from the very people that Moses has come to deliver. The very people Moses has been sent by God to deliver have now taken a stiff-necked stance at him and said, it's, it, essentially, it would have been better for you to never do what you've done. Stayed in Midian, not listen to that bush. How many of us have been here? I want to I speculate too much, but I can only imagine what's happening in Moses' heart. We're going to see what comes out of Moses' heart in just a minute. Have you ever sat here before? God, this is not, this is not right, Lord. I'm sorry, I've obeyed you, and I heard you, and I've done what you've asked, and I've been delayed, obstructed, and opposed, and I felt such momentum. 
And listen to what Moses says in verse 22. Moses returned to the Lord and he said, Why, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Is, is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to, to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people. And listen, and you have not rescued your people at all. You haven't done what you said you will do. Have you been there with the Lord? Are you there? I just have a sense right now that the Lord is, even right now, on hearts, revealing that that's where some of, you, some of us are. And to just be there with the Lord and say, you haven't done what you said you're going to do. And let's listen to the Lord's response to Moses at the top of Exodus 6. The Lord said to Moses, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. And God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, that is, as El Shaddai, the Almighty God. But by my name, the Lord, Yahweh, I did not make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they resided as foreigners. And moreover, let me remind you, Moses, I have heard the groaning of of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving. And I have remembered my covenant. There's got to be something there for Moses That as Matt so wonderfully shared at the top of our meeting, recalibrates. There's got to be something there for Moses that that reestablishes what's true. And what's true is not a result, is not found in what's delayed or what's obstructed or in what's opposing. What's true is found in who God has declared himself to be. Moses, now you will see. Moses. Notice God doesn't say, you disobeyed. Notice God doesn't say, I'm disappointed in you. Notice God doesn't say, hey, this isn't that bad. Stop it. Come on. It's just some bricks. God doesn't say that. I think some of you today need to hear that God is not saying that to you either. God is not saying to you, Al, come on, it's not that bad. Nancy, it's not that bad. Chris, buck up. Andrew, come on, get it together. God's, that's not from God. God is saying, you will see what I will do in the paradigm of my own time, in the paradigm of my own ways, based in my character, and you will partner with me in it for my glory. Rest there. Don't be entrapped by impatience. Rest there. Because when I do it, it will be done suddenly and with my glory. I think for those of us, maybe all of us, questions that come to mind for me as I share these moments, precious and few, with Moses, moments of momentum and delay, obstacle and opposition. Three key questions come to mind that center me and return me. I'm not talking about centering yourself with the universe and all. I'm saying, what 
is true, eternally decreed from God himself. The first is, what has God said? What has God said? And God said to Moses, prophetically declared over him, you will lead my people. You will walk out of Egypt plundering the Egyptians. They will will throw favor at you as you go. And somehow that's been forgotten. I have forgotten in my life what God has declared over me, not just hearing from him intimately, but what he's declared over us in here, that I am his child, that my life is hidden with Christ in God, that his desire is for me, that his banner over us is love, and he's taking us to the banquet hall, that he'll never leave us or forsake us, that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, that he came to seek and save that which is lost. All of his purposes for me, for you, Let's not forget what God has said. The second very key question for me is, what has God done? What has God done? God had already, in very intimate ways, just to Moses, shown him his faithfulness. And even when God speaks and introduces himself, he, he can't help but reference his own faithfulness. I'm the God of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob. I was faithful to them. What has God done? And I want to encourage you, make a habit. Make a habit of remembering all that God's done. Just looking across this room at people that I know, I just, my heart wells up with what God has done. Heck and Michelle, I just, my heart wells up with what God has done. His fierce faithfulness to you guys. Fierce faithfulness. Taylor, your family, things that you guys have stood for, things that we've stood with you for, just God's un- just undiluted faithfulness. And I want to say, if we're not in the habit of referencing God's faithfulness to us, we'll be in the habit of asking God where he is. Lastly, What God has said, what God has done, but mostly, mostly, mostly who God is. Who God is. That's God's answer to Moses. God also said to Moses, I'm the Lord. Not Moses, sit down. Not Moses, get in your place. Not Moses, how dare you. It's the same tone, the same offering that that God first welcomed Moses with at the burning bush. Moses, I'm the Lord. I'm the God of your people. I'm introducing myself to you anew. And I'm good. And I've heard the cries of my people. And I'm going to show my glory. And I want to say, that is what God is saying to hearts across this room, even right now. Even right now. And my prayer is, right now, God is saying, Nancy had a picture as we were praying this morning, of just faces being turned towards the Father. Of, of hearts that have indicted God's goodness based upon delay or opposition or obstacle. And God is saying, stop. Turn to me. I'm good. And, and I'm so sovereign. God is so sovereign that he can even use what, what is detestable to him to accomplish what he loves. So I hope that brings an encouragement. And I'm trusting that it does. What God has said. What God has done who God is. And in terms of our story of Exodus, 
oh, we're about to see God display his glory. We're about to see God answer all the questions because he's faithful to do so.